So something as crazy as Dogecoin, also something as crazy as Breadcoin, have a reason to exist. And I think that in a diverse landscape, we can see a lot more of this kind of interesting stuff, uh, which will that will really change the economy. I think just thinking differently about capital, no, we've done that for 300, 400 years, maybe longer even. But it's not going to change the way we are doing business right now. But if we start thinking from a diversity perspective, I think we can change business. And then I think we can also see a lot of new initiatives popping up that are very interesting to use. This is the Wave Hansen Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Howell. Oh, did you know? The Wave Hansen Podcast is for world changers. Shh, don't tell anyone. It's a secret. Distributed ledger technology is taking the world by storm. It's creating a new ecosystem to transact value on, with this form of money being called cryptocurrency. Joachim de Koning happens to be a founder of a cryptocurrency company, Hybrix, and he's ready to share his knowledge of where cryptocurrency can be in the next few years. Markets as we know them might be in for an upgrade as a new sort of currency comes in to replace it. One that is decentralized and where we talk about buying food with bread coins or selling shoes and receiving shoe coins. It's a fascinating discussion. I'm excited for you to take a listen to it and dive into the realm of possibilities of this world-changing technology, the blockchain and cryptocurrency. Excited for you to take a listen. If you like the episode, or if you have some questions for Joachim, send in some comments to this episode. Joachim, let's jump right into the to the podcast. Sure. And as a, as a founder of Internet of Coins and, and then Hybrix, now Hybrix, can you speak a bit about the impossible mission that you're that you're tackling, that you're addressing? Yeah. Well, we want basically to create um, the system that makes it possible for everybody to have freedom of transactions. And this is regardless of the underlying ledger or blockchain technology. So why is that a difficult mission or uh, to accomplish is, is because, um, well, right now, when you look at ledger technology, you see that the weight in the market of money and capital still pulls towards itself um, the market and also the cryptocurrency market. So that results in some monolithic solutions that have become very big and successful, um, but that are becoming more and more centralized because of their scale. So uh, one of them is, for example, Bitcoin itself, um, which started out as an experiment. And uh, well, if we have to really be honest about it, it grew way out of hand which is on the one hand very good because that brought uh, alternative money into the world. On the other hand, um, it has a downside, and that is that um, it starts playing in the field of economies of scale and is also easily influenced by that. So one of the ways it's being influenced is, for example, by um, the mining sector of, of Bitcoin, where you see that huge mining parties you know, can really... Uh, 
um, work up the hash power that they actually do have uh, control over the network. And as far as we've seen until now, that has not been abused very much and may never happen. But the fact that that control is there is worrisome. So, okay, how do you tackle this? Well, if you just create another blockchain, you know, that, that is an alternative to Bitcoin. And, and there are many. That doesn't solve the problem in itself. Thousands even. Thousands, yes, thousands. It doesn't solve the problem because Bitcoin has, as, as, as many call it, the network effect. So many uh, people will participate in Bitcoin first to onboard themselves into the cryptocurrency scene. And next to that, um, uh, in Bitcoin, there's a lot of liquidity. So uh, I think it's not easily solvable by just creating a new coin and putting that next to Bitcoin and saying, okay, all hail the new king. You know, that's not the way it works. Because Bitcoin is solidly enthroned as, well, the first cryptocurrency, but also uh, the most secure network. And, and that is a positive thing. Uh, but the negative thing is the, um, is the monolithic power that, that comes from these large mining organizations. So I think there's only one way to tackle this problem, and that is to encourage diversity in the market, but not just by creating new coins and putting them next to Bitcoin, but actually creating solutions that interconnect all these different solutions into one large economy of scale. So Bitcoin in itself is an economy of scale, but it has become monolithic. And we want to make sure that the economies of scale start combining into one large one, uh, which creates um, room for multiple players in the market. So that's really my, my vision and hope for the future of cryptocurrency. You're talking about the exchange of value between different currencies. And like you said, not letting Bitcoin be the big player in it. Yeah. So who is not decentralized? Binance, Coinbase? And these are the people where you, you might not agree with their ethics. They're taking mm -hmm. a percentage of each transaction and they're not allowing the, the free flow of money, which is kind of Bitcoin's whole concept. True, true. Um, yes, I think we see that there's more and more uh, players entering the market that, that talk about decentralization and they claim to have um, a very ethical and decentralized approach but when it all boils down to, you know, the bottom line is basically still money. So if, if it makes them money, they'll say whatever they need to say. And they'll encourage everybody to believe that. Um, we saw the same in uh, the beginning of, of the era of Internet when you had the browser wars where, you know, there were first some, uh, some very simple browsers, one, the first one being Mosaic. And, um, and then you got Netscape, but also Microsoft was trying to enter this browser arena because they saw that there was a lot of power uh, in it to, you know, to be able to become a gatekeeper of data transfer and how it's presented to the user. So Internet Explorer came on the scene and, and no tactic was spared to, to try and become the leader in, in browsers. Um, later, we saw Google coming in with Google Chrome. Um, in, on the one hand, a very nice uh, refreshment in, you know, fresh air in how a browser uh, works because it was a lot faster. It was, uh, it was easy to use. Um, and Mozilla Firefox had gotten a bit, bit older and bit, bit, maybe a bit stale. But on the other hand, as people now find out, it also cost a lot of people uh, privacy because it was just too enticing for Google to, to not use this chance to hoover up extra data and, you know, to, to cut some corners in, uh, in, in ethics. And we see the same thing happening in blockchain that 
Uh, Ethereum, for example, is a very big player um, doing a lot of really cool stuff in DeFi. Um, and I have a lot of respect for how far Vitalik has brought Ethereum and how he has created um, a good alternative to what Bitcoin can do. Uh, yet on the other hand, you also see that there's a lot of money going around in Ethereum and it's, it's pulling at the market, uh, making people build everything on Ethereum. So it's becoming a monolith in itself, which means it could become like a Google of crypto. So um, when you think of, of, of that from, from a, a money perspective, you know, if you are the Google of crypto, that's good for you. But for the market, uh, we might have um, a problem because uh, Ethereum is not inherently a private blockchain. Uh, it's, it's open uh, f for everyone. And a lot of solutions and ideas are being bolted onto it, but it's all on this single ledger. And I think that is um, not a very good proposition for the future of cryptocurrency, because that means that if Bitcoin is dethroned, it will just be a new monolith trying to take its place. So um, my preference is that we try to combine all these different ledgers and hook them up together and doing that with a mechanism that doesn't have its own um, monetary incentive to become the biggest monolith in the market. And so that's, of course, also what we're doing. And uh, there are, I think, some other solutions trying to do this as well. But all these uh, initiatives are still small because when you try to grow it in an ethical way, it's a lot harder to do it than when you just pull the market to yourself. So what, what would stop uh, in, your, in your ideal ecosystem? What would stop Ethereum or Bitcoin from becoming the, the main player? I think that... Um, uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum have their strengths, but they also have their weaknesses. Uh, if you look at, for example, transaction costs on both Bitcoin and Ethereum, these are shooting up very fast. And we've heard people talking about scaling Bitcoin and Ethereum for years, but it hasn't happened yet to a point that you could say, okay, the transaction costs are really going down very much. Of course, SegWit was a great improvement and Bitcoin transactions have become cheaper. But the Bitcoin... Um, ecosystem is still growing and this blockchain that that is Bitcoin is also growing and so there has to be some kind of solution for that because if if that isn't solved that problem transaction costs will continue to go up it's a little bit like communism like it works really well as an idea and also it, at a small scale it works very well but the larger you make it the larger the problems in it become so um, so that's something we have to find a solution for. And I think, uh, yeah, that, that diversity is the solution for this. That you, you'd allow the free market to run its course and what it, in the hybrids playground of sorts. Well, not, it, it doesn't have to be just in the hybrids playground. I think what, what, um, the market should do is, uh, there should be diversity and we see that there is. But uh, they, these are all projects that are their own islands. And I think that we, if we see projects like Hybrids, projects like um, Geek, I recently saw that they kind of offer also a multi-ledger idea. If these start to combine these ledgers in a very seamless fashion, I think that is very positive. So for me, it doesn't have to become Hybrids rules them all. It should rather become Hybrids uh, initiates a collaboration between all these projects because I see that we're acting very competitive in the crypto market, which is, I think, contrary to how we started. 
so basically, we're trying to mirror again what Wall Street is, what the banking sector is. To me, that's boring. We've already seen what happens. You know, um, it, it creates financial inequality. It creates an ecosystem where people, you know, in, at the end of the day, they're not happier with it than, than what we were with the banks and Wall Street. So if we really want to do this right, we want to create diversity and we want to do it in an equal way. And that's going to be hard because in, uh, in capitalism, which is, you know, what we live in, this mechanism is always the, the mechanism that most easily wins out because, you know, it has the power to, to pull the market towards itself. So um, I think that uh, by, by collaboration, I think we can actually break that cycle. And I think we should. What's beyond that cycle? What happens when we break free from capitalism? What does that look like? That is very difficult to define because I think uh, we'll have a situation that is very new because like, I, I don't think that there's, you know, just one alternative capitalism to capitalism. Like you often hear people say like, yeah, well, then if you don't want capitalism, do you want communism? You know, and no, of course you don't just want communism. But what I think you do want is, I think you don't want any isms. So, so what I would want to see is diversity, which means that, yes, in some parts of the market, there will be some capitalism. Maybe in other parts of the market, there will be a little more communism as, as it functions. But uh, but those two don't don't um, uh, rule over the entire market. It would be very good to see diversity, which gives everybody that does some some honest, good business a chance to thrive in the market. And capitalism doesn't do that in the end because a capitalist system always gives the benefits to the ones with the most capital. So that in itself is problematic, I think. Now, would you have a redistribution of wealth of like a, uh, a universal basic income at, of some sorts or a universal crypto income? If we could curb capitalism, we could actually do things like that. And, um, and I think we could also see forms of value, uh, also units of value that are entirely different from a capital-based unit of value. For example, Bitcoin is seen as an asset, but it's also these days often seen as a capital asset, you know, and it's often called money, etc. cetera. Uh, but that is always thinking about like, how can I save the most Bitcoins? You know, how can I stack my sats? That's, you know, that's one of those memes. Like, stack yeah. your satoshis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and I'm not against stacking sats. I mean, if somebody wants to save up a lot of money, you know, and, and wants to have a lot of capital, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I am saying that, I think there's other ways to measure value and to also create uh, units of value that can do things that are more useful than just capital. So let's say you have um, a bread coin, right? What could a bread coin do? If, if you have a coin that's always worth uh, one piece of bread in a certain part of the world, like in, in a certain country. Some people would say, well, you could, you could also you know, pay for that bread in Bitcoin, and that's true. But... Um, if you can only pay for bread with a certain coin and that coin has as its goal that you can pay for bread with it, it can also create a lot of interesting benefits. Uh, for example, you could uh, hand out bread to, uh, to homeless people by giving them bread coins and giving them rights to just go get some bread. And then if, for example, one of those homeless people is, you know, let's say uh, he or she is on drugs, um, it will be a lot more difficult to just go get drugs with that bread coin because that's not what it's made for. So uh, it will be an incentive for that person to change his or her behavior to go and get some bread instead of 
going and buying some grams of cocaine. And I'm not seeing Bitcoin solving this problem. So I would like to see this problem solved from a diversity perspective and not from a capital perspective. Okay, that is, that is such an interesting point with this breadcoin. Uh, what's, what's the <laughs> yeah. value to the, and I think I see no reason why that couldn't, couldn't happen. Uh, Joachim and a sandwich coin, you know, what are the, what are the limits? Yeah, you could have a lot of crazy types of coins. I mean, no doubt in that, in that sense, if we get that diversity, we'll see a lot of weird things that, that may not really, you know, um, survive, right? Just like with Bitcoin, you see all these weird altcoins, these crazy ideas that, well, a lot of them are completely, you know, uh, nonsensical. A and they don't coin. survive. Like Dogecoin, yeah. But Dogecoin survived and for a very um, unexpected reason, which was its, you know, its, its meme power, basically, <laughs> or its network power. So apparently there is value in memes, right? Um, who would have known, right? Everybody said, okay, the memes are just fine. And you just whack each other around the head with them. But apparently you can base an economy on memes. So it's, it's possible. So <laughs> Two billion dollars at, at one point. A meme currency and even now there's there's people promoting it on on tiktok and it's gone viral and and all that well I, to tell you the truth like uh, if i look at dogecoin and i see those memes it makes me happy so hey you know i even have some <laughs> dogecoins and i'm not here to shill dogecoin i'm just saying like <laughs> if, if if um if a cryptocurrency has its own um, a reason to exist and, and that mission and vision is properly protected. Um, you know, Dogecoin is just a lot about having fun, right? And that's what they do. If, if that's done properly, if that's performed and executed correctly, the coin has a reason to exist. So something as crazy as Dogecoin, also something as crazy as Breadcoin, have a reason to exist. And I think that in a diverse landscape, we can see a lot more of this kind of interesting stuff, uh, which will that will really change the economy. I think just thinking differently about capital, no, we've done that for 300, 400 years, maybe longer even, but it's not going to change the way we are doing business right now. But if we start thinking from a diversity perspective, I think we can change business. And then I think we can also see a lot of new initiatives popping up that are very interesting to use. Right on. And a question, because I'd like to understand this concept better. What would be the advantage to the, the person baking the bread and selling for, for a bread coin, what could they now do with the bread coin? Well, right now, for example, in the Netherlands, we have, um, we have a lot of bakeries and they have to compete against supermarkets. So they're having a hard time against the supermarkets because a supermarket is always able to, to give, you know, to sell cheaper bread than you can because you're just one bakery, but the supermarket is this huge collective of markets. And so they can just regulate what they, what they want to sell, um, which gives them a capital edge, a power over this bakery. So what a bakery could do with a bread coin is have people actually uh, buy their bread in advance. And that means that they need to waste and throw away less bread because they can actually, you know, they can bank on bread instead of banking on capital. And so uh, by banking on bread, they can just have it ready for when, when, when people need to get the bread. Because the bread coin could have, for example, a specific type of mechanism whereby you have the same idea um, uh, built into the currency. So for example, 
uh, bread only stays good for maybe three, four days, and after that it becomes kind of stale. Well, you could you could build the same mechanism into breadcoin. I'm just saying this experimentally, right. right? Right. But that means you can't like save thousands of breadcoins, which means you can't um, destroy the breadcoin market by speculating on it, because a speculator will only be uh, rewarded for creating liquidity, but not for hoarding capital. Because hoarding bread is stupid, right? If you hoard a lot of bread, uh, maybe down. you can dry yeah. it, right? <laughs> but if, if you just hoard it as bread, you know, as fresh bread, after four or five days, it's it's just not going to be very edible. You know, for most people, they'll, they'll be like, okay, this is not, not very crunchy, you know, not very nice to eat. So the bread coin will have lost its value, or the bread in this case. And so the bread coin could have the same kind of mechanism, that it loses some of its value over time. Uh, so that it's really, um, uh, its only purpose is for buying and selling bread and making sure that that market is properly regulated, but not by a government, but by the bakers themselves, that they can properly regulate their own bread coin market. And so as the baker, can I now go and transact that bread coin for, I don't know, a shoe coin? How how is where's the the value coming? I'm a bit confused on that to the to the baker, to the to the shop owner. Well, in our current economy, it's going to be difficult to to make this work in the beginning because mm-hmm. um, our entire economy is based on 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 capital thinking. So right. right now, the baker will think, okay, how can I convert this bread coin to euros or dollars as fast as I can, right? Because that's what he needs to pay the bills. Uh, but in the long run, if he can pay bills in a different way, let's say he has a house coin where he can just say, okay, if I pay one house coin a month, I can live rent-free in my house, right? Um, I think we would have to to look at uh, ways to experiment to create these markets that fit these new models. So you'd have to create a market whereby you can indeed trade a bread coin for a time coin or a shoe coin or a house coin. Um, and that makes it possible for the baker to live, uh, basically if, if we do this right, the baker could live just almost without money and, uh, and then money would become more of a, uh, you know, a detail aspect, but not really his core business. His core business is baking bread. That's what he likes to do. Right. And, uh, and for the rest, he just wants to have a good life. So yeah. if you can do that without capital, without money or, or with less of that, I think that would be positive. I think okay. also that it, it would um, uh, cause a lot less waste uh, for us to look at more at the details. And I think diversity forces us to look at the details, right? With with capital market, the baker is throwing away almost half of his bread at the end of the day because, you know, to, to satisfy the capital market, he has to make sure that when clients come in, there's enough bread for everybody, but sometimes there's not enough clients. So at the end of the day, he has to just, give it to the ducks or, you know, just maybe send it to the food bank. If you have a, a nice baker, you know, he wants to go the extra length and he wants to drive to the food bank to give it there. But not all bakers do that because they don't have a lot of time on their hands. You know, the bread for the next day has to be baked. So, and according to the law, they have to throw away a lot of the bread. So, uh, but with a bread coin, you could say, okay, um, um, if the baker uh, still has bread left over next day and it's one day old, you know, the bread coins that are also one day old can still be used to pay for that bread, even though they are worth a little less, that bread will still be put to good use somehow. So um, you can start looking at ways to create a market that is not based on just capital, uh, which is a very um, theoretical kind of thing uh, compared to the real world where you 
where sometimes types of capsule like bread are not something you can keep indefinitely. You know, not everything is like gold. Not everything is like, well, <laughs> paper money as, as it has functioned for a while. <laughs> Uh, of course, it inflates, but uh, let's say mm -hmm. it's, it's it's relatively right. stable until now. There's an unlimited federal uh, reserve amount. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear there's going to be a big party, right? Because everybody's <laughs> getting free money, right? Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's like a it's yeah. like a dream, dude. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's. <laughs> I think that's also a problem. Yeah, you can just you can just. Um, I I don't know for sure, but I I thought the Federal Reserve was not actually a banking institution, but it was a private institution. It is. Um, so that is of course also problematic. Like I think banks are are sneaky. I mean, we've seen that happen in um, in Europe where banks just you know they trade in weapons and all kinds of sneaky stuff they're not supposed to do. Uh, but then the government finds out they did, and then they get, you know, they get whacked for it. And um, but uh, in well, what's the states, a couple I think, of billion when you made, you know, tens of billions. It exactly, you, you just you could just pay the bill, right? No problem. <laughs> but uh, but in the states, uh, the Federal Reserve is is like a, I think a private institution or some kind of business. So I think that that also gives a, a lot of other types of risk because it's. I think more difficult for the government to keep a business in check um, than an institutional bank that the government has a big say in. But it's it's debatable which one is best because both of these mechanisms have their their downsides. Um, and I think in the long run we'll see that both mechanisms don't work because you know when once the fiat money system was decoupled from um, from uh, finite scarce resources. Uh, it started becoming a game of numbers, and that game of numbers is going to become, I think, a problem because in a capital society, you either have to base uh, your society on concepts of scarcity or else it will not work in the long run. And we've seen many examples of that in history. So um, I, I do think that the capital market is in for a, for a big shakeup uh, because of, of trust issues. Um, but uh, maybe that's another subject for another time. But it's it's right definitely going to be a problem, I think. Yeah, you could even say we're looking at an end stage capitalism, uh, it, and it was a, a test. I, yeah. I'm not sure what it was before that. What type of money system was used? Um, I know the well, U.S. dollar was linked to the linked to gold, and we went off the gold standard here in the U.S. Um, yeah, and Nixon did that, I believe, or he signed it off. And uh, yeah, and, and also in the Netherlands, we had our, our money supply issued uh, based on the gold standard and the silver standard. Um, even even uh, coins in the Netherlands were made of silver for a long time, but eventually they, they stopped doing that because the market started to decouple from the, from the money supply. And instead of saying, okay, this is a problem, you know, how did this happen? Um, it, it was just decided, okay, let's just decouple the whole thing altogether. And well, by inflating it every year, uh, till till now it has kind of worked. But the question is, how long is this still going to work? So um, maybe it's it's going to be another hundred years, but it could also be very fast that things uh, start to um, to uh, well, basically they could collapse. And I think that's a very big risk. I think it's a very dangerous game we're playing. So let let me just say, I hope we have a, a smooth transition to a new idea. Uh, I think that would be better than some kind of revolution. Because revolution often means blood in the streets, and I don't think anybody wants that. I think uh, what we would like to see is maybe a, a silent revolution 
or a, uh, or a slow revolution where where what is right now our money system slowly changes into something more solid, something more diverse and something more real. Yeah, and almost like a barter system. Yeah, like a barter system, but then for for the uh, for the digital age. Mm-hmm. And I think we can do this because we have now created, you know, the internet. We have now uh, got methods of communication that are way beyond what we could do in the past. And, and they're almost free for a lot of people. So I think it's possible to, to move to this new type of economy, uh, but it will be an experiment on how to do this exactly. So I don't have all the answers. I just do have the, the feeling and the strong convince, like strong conviction that we have to do things differently. Uh, and I think many of us in cryptocurrency have that same conviction. But the how is, is the question. And that's uh, something we're all looking for. Right. Well, Joachim, here's, here's to all the possibilities that could happen. Uh, wishing, wishing all the best for your journey in cryptocurrency and uh, to a new system, not based on, on capital, but one that's diverse and really helpful to everyone involved in the system. That's what we're looking for, to provide value to each and every human. Then, Absolutely. Yeah. Water cooler, cheers to that. <laughs> cool. This brings us to the end of the Wave Hansen podcast. I'm Steve Howell. Thank you so much for tuning in, for listening. I'm so grateful for the support. Look out for the next episode and continue to expand your world. Thank you.